I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there. My name is Julian, and I produce the Dublin Story Slam. The Dublin Story Slam is an open-mic storytelling night where we invite members of the audience to get up and share true personal stories uh, from their lives and inspired by a different theme each night. On this podcast, you're going to hear the very best of the stories that we've recorded live at the Sugar Club. And these are stories that sometimes may not have been the highest scoring on the night, but stories that we felt deserved to be listened to again in the glorious full surround sound of your headphones or car or wherever you happen to be listening to this. So this is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. So as I record this, uh, it's coming up to our second birthday. The Dublin Story Slam is two. We will be having a very special birthday party on May the 14th, which is this Tuesday. Um, The theme is going to be milestones. Obviously, we've just passed another uh, big milestone online and we have had over 100,000 downloads of this very same podcast that you're listening to. So uh, I'm not sure how famous that makes us, but in our eyes, it's definitely a million miles away from where we ever thought um, that we would be uh, just even a year into this podcast. Uh, So thank you so much. We're we're sending you much, much, much love all the way from Dublin. And hopefully, maybe if you're in these parts, you can uh, be with us. And the best place to find out where you can get your tickets for the Dublin Story Slam is the DublinStorySlam.com. Click on the mailing list. And you'll be the first person to know when tickets go on sale for our next Story Slam. Okay, on to this month's episode. The title of this episode is called Turnaround. And it was inspired by a very common response to people listening to the Dublin Story Slam. And it was how the podcast made people cry. Sometimes in their cars, and sometimes outside their homes, sometimes outside their workplaces. But wherever it was, uh, it was enough to move you to tears. And that is beautiful. I think crying is a very, very, very cathartic thing that you can do. But on this particular episode of the podcast, we want to give you more laughs and a little bit more of a positive can-do attitude with whatever is happening in your life. So we've got three stories that take a situation that's pretty crappy, 
but all of our three heroes in these stories manage to turn the situation around. So our very first story comes from a guy called Gary Cunningham, who told his story uh, at a story slam where the theme was Journey. Now, I had heard Gary on the radio a few days beforehand, actually, and he was talking about um, as a, a, a guy who has served time in prison himself, about the importance of employers giving people with a prison record a second chance. And I was immediately struck by the kind of frankness, uh, you know, he was really open and honest about what he had done and he wasn't looking for any preferential treatment, but he was just trying to highlight the importance of giving people a second chance. I got in contact pretty much soon afterwards and said, would you be interested in telling a story at the Story Slam? And he came with the most amazing level of enthusiasm and excitement and that was just brilliant brilliant to see and we hope we have Gary back to help to tell lots more stories because this is a guy who has a lot more stories to tell. So this is a story about turning around your life under very dark circumstances but with a brilliant sense of humour that Dubliners are so renowned for all around the world. This is Gary Cunningham. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Um, okay, so my journey begins in a, it begins in the visiting room of Mountjoy Prison in 2012, and uh, shamefully, I was the one receiving the visit. So, in 2012, I was arrested in the forecourt of a garage with over 70,000 worth of cannabis, and I got three and a half years in prison. And I don't offer any excuses for why I was in prison. I was in prison because I was a selfish bastard. I was a I was a horrible person. I walked around with a chip on my shoulder feeling like the world owed me something. <clears throat> and yet, it was about two weeks when I was in my sentence that I had my first visit and my mum... I cry all the time, by the way, so I'm fucking guaranteed to cry when I tell this. <laughs> <laughs> my mum my mom came up for the visit. And she'd no hip on one side of her body and she had to be escorted in by a prison officer and my brother. And I'll never forget that for as long as I live. My mum never had the guards at her house. I come from a really good family. I don't kind of marry the whole thing that your incarceration and your, your upbringing go hand in hand. I walked away from that visit that day and I swore blind that I'd change every single solitary bit of my body and my mind to prove to that woman how much I love her and how sorry I am. So I'll let you be the judge of whether I did that or not. In prison, I started the very first ever prisoners committee, which today is implemented. It's a template of which is implemented in every jail in Ireland. I started a band called The Offenders. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> How very original. Um, we became, you ready for this? Drum roll. Brrr. We became, we actually went into the history books of the Irish prison service. And how we did that was, we became the first band ever to be created inside a prison and then put into other prisons to play fucking gigs. And this is not a word of a lie. We would be in the, pu- in the bus like this and in the other bus would be the drums and all that kind of stuff. And we'd head off to these jails, Castle Ree, you know, Wheatfield, and play these gigs. Guns and Roses, eat your fucking heart out. <laughs> now, I, I went in and I, I found myself in prison. I, I realised what an absolute prick I was. And I wanted, I was addicted to alcohol. I'm now addicted to try and make people feel good about themselves. And I'm here to show you that anybody is capable of change and, and, and can remain that way. Upon my release from prison, I wrote my first book. It's called Joys of Joy, Finding Myself in Lawyer's Prison. And at the moment, it's currently being adapted and it'll be in our cinemas in about a year or a year and a half's time. But 
I started going back into prison and I started to talk to lads in there about owning the shit that you do. Don't offer excuses for what you did. You fucked up. Stand in front of a group of people like this and say you're sorry and own what you do. And yet I felt when I was in these prisons that I was too late. I wanted to go into the schools. So I went into schools and I have a very unorthodox way of talking to these poor kids. I'm fucking scared the shit out of them. Uh, but I also have a 100% success rate of making teachers cry as well as the students. Um, in a good way. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing now. And three weeks ago, I was made an ambassador for the new academy, which is one of the biggest um, mental he- one-stop shop for mental health for all our youths today. You know, we're, we're losing children to suicide at a re- an alarming rate. And I have a tagline where I tell these kids to, to repeat every morning in the mirror to themselves that I am enough. And I think every fucking one of us here tonight needs to hear that, to get up every day and say, I'm enough, what I do is enough. So I started this journey, as, I, as we, the, the topic tonight is journey, um, and I started this story inside Mountjoy Prison in the visiting room, and if you'll allow me to end this story, I'd like to end it on a, on a nice note, I'd like to go back to that visiting room. So I'm about six or eight months into my sentence, I'm about 16 stone, <clears throat> I tried to kill myself, I tried to slip my wrists in Mountjoy, I, I feared what society would view me as I got out, I, filled with shame because of what I did to my mom and my family. And this one guy, his name is Fitzer in the book, he became and still is today my greatest, the best friend I've ever had. I had to go to prison to find him. And I worked in the, in, in the kitchen at Mount Joy. So the, I know this might be very hard for you to understand, but them men in there were like my family. And once they found that something bad had happened to me, they rallied around me. But one guy in particular went over the fucking top. So I'm standing beside him, and every day he'd go, Henry, tell you, you need to meet, yeah, you need to meet my wife's best mate. Her name is Antoinette. She's out of this war pal. You and her be fucking deadly. <laughs> and I'm kind of going, yeah, you know, I'm 16 stone. She mightn't like that. But there's one little fucking detail, you know. I'm a prisoner. It's not like I can walk up to the governor and say, you wouldn't just give us a few hours out there. I just want to bring her the pictures. I'll be back this evening. But what he did after this low point that I had, what he did was, he, he allowed me to think. He allowed me to think of someone that I could maybe write to, whatever way you want to look at it. We get called for a visit together one day, and we both go out to the same visiting room I told you about. And he fecks off one end, and I'm up my end, and I'm talking to these two guys. And next of all, I shit you not, in the visiting room of Mount Joy, it's not exactly private. You know, they don't give you your little space. It's just all there for everyone to see. He's on the counter. I'm fucking Jesus, what does he want? And I look down, and I see that his visitor hasn't got blonde hair. She has black hair. And I assume that this is this, is this famous Antoinette. So, of course, now picture the scene. I'm 16-ish stone. I'm all in white, from fucking head to toe, with a red stencil kitchen across my chest. All right. <laughs> And I actually had the opening line of something fucking ridiculous, like, hi, do you come here often? (laughs) But you know what? She smiled. Here's the tears. She smiled. She looked at me. She never judged me. Um, I I said to her, I believe you're a singer. And she said, yeah, I believe you started a band. Yeah, the offenders. (laughs) And uh, Brian decides to fucking ruin the moment by jumping in. And he actually says, shit, you know, he says, so, Antoinette, you're going to write one? And she looked me up and down, I shit you not, like, like a fart at that funeral. And she says, uh, what the fuck would I write to him for? And I, I promise you this, that I, I turned and I walked away. And when I got to about that speaker, she shouted. And she said, I'll tell you what, you write to me. And if you make me laugh, I'll think about writing back. 
I now live with her. That's her there. And I love her. With every fibre in my body, I love her. I love you. So I hope that this story of a journey, that I've told you the truth. I've told you I was the biggest fucking gobshite you ever met in your life. And I still am a gobshite. That's clear to see. But... I'm also a product of somebody who can change. If we have a want and a yearn inside us to change, I owe society something. So I'm doing everything I can to give back. And tonight has been absolutely fucking amazing. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That was Gary Cunningham, uh, kickstarting off our podcast. And Gary actually has two books out. They're called Joys of Joy and Life After Joy. That was Gary Cunningham. Um, okay, on to our next story. Now, this is also a story about how a life can be turned around. And it kind of has a pretty tragic start to it but it lifts itself up towards the end and ends in a place of, of power and rebirth and excitement for the future. So this is Derek Maguire. Spare a bit of change for the homeless, please. 
I became homeless in 2015. Probably not very dissimilar to a lot of you here. Um, I walked on my life, loved my career, was passionate about it. Bought property at the height of the Celtic Tiger. The bottom fell out of that, into the client. So it really started from there. Um, yeah, so in 2015, the realization that I had lost everything. Um, so there I was, standing at the side of a road, probably less than five euro in my pocket, and uh, a suitcase for, for companionship. The last place I wanted to go was the inner city Dublin, uh, where all the homelessness services were. So I made my way out to Dublin Airport. And for the following three weeks, I lived in Dublin Airport. Uh, I blended in quite well. Uh, if I needed refreshments, I'd go up to the departures lounge, I'd just scope and scoop all the refreshments that people would leave behind before boarding their, their flight. Um, the vending machines, I, I used to put tissue up them and come around every couple of hours and see could I recoup a couple of coins from them. Found a nice place to, to be able to lie out outside of the public gaze. Um, so as I said, yeah, I, I, I blended in quite well. Um, after two weeks, it started becoming a little bit kind of difficult. The security in the airport were probably watching me a little bit closer. The shopkeepers in in, in the airport. Um, so I knew I, I knew it was coming on top. Um, so I had to move, and the dreaded place that I was trying to avoid most was the inner city, but I ended up, ended up in the inner city. I wasn't on the streets a long time, and uh, I found myself being hospitalised um, with double pneumonia. And I remember for those four, four nights, you know, four o'clock in the morning, when the lungs just refused to breathe, uh, writing a, a will on the back of an envelope. It wasn't a will of such, I mean, the only thing I had was the clothes on my back. Uh, cry for desperation, uh, despair, whatever. But, uh, but I battled through it. The recuperating was, 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 was so difficult. And I found myself back in hospital with another bout of pneumonia. Um, and it was at that point then I expressed to the nurses, listen, I've enough, you know, I just cannot go on, I can't do this. Um, and it really was a cry for help. It was a cry for sanctuary, uh, more so than anything else. But uh, I found myself in a psychiatric hospital. And not only in a psychiatric hospital, in a lockdown ward of a psychiatric hospital, um, which was terrifying, I have to say. I'd never experienced anything like that, the extremes of mental health and, and the effect it has on people. Um, I didn't see myself in that way at all. Uh, I was depressed because of circumstances, you know, that was it. Uh, wasn't going to harm myself externally, I was doing a great job at that internally as it was. But I remember that first night, I came out the next morning and I was found my way to making a cup of tea and I was sitting there and a young guy approached me, he was no more than 30 if that. Um, but the closer he got to me, the, the realisation dawned on me, he was wearing my clothes from head to toe, he was dressed my clothes. Now I only had two, two sets of clothes, one that was on my back and one that was on his back. <laughs> you know, but it was the most surreal experience because I was looking at a reflection of myself in terms of where uh, the decline in my mental health could actually bring me. And there was no point 
conversing with the chap, you know, he was very sick. So anyway, I spent a number of weeks later trying to convince the psychiatrist and the team to let me out. Eventually got out, ended back on the streets. Two really violent episodes on the streets. A couple of lads thought I was an easy target and um, they mugged me in a sleeping bag one night uh, and took half my teeth with them. But uh, the second one was really, really upsetting. I was sleeping in a doorway in Stevens Green um, and, and four people were passing by, two couples, male and female. The two guys decided to come up uh, to end our night's entertainment by urinating on top of me uh, with great encouragement from, from, from the women. Um, so they knocked another couple of teeth before they, they left. Um, I mean, you know, I'm in a good position now in terms of I'm earning an income from doing street tours, so I can repair, you know, I can, I can repair some of that damage. But I met Tom Austin then in, in the end of October. Tom had just started up a small business enterprise, non-for-profit, um, secret street tours. So uh, with the mission to, to kind of train up um, people who have experienced homelessness to become tour guides in the local community, I jumped on board. Um, I had the opportunity to design a route and create, um, create a tour, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, and it's been great. We kicked it off there in, in December. Uh, it's been going so well. Then the 7th of February, uh, I was asked to attend another meeting uh, within that function. Um, and this time the meeting I, I went into was with the chief executive of a large organization and 30 members of, of the management structure within that. And again, I was pitching, you know, the secret tours. Yeah. Went really, really well, you know, and I came out and I'm feeling so proud of myself. Um, five days later, I was standing, in, standing up in front of 100 people uh, and giving a pitch again, and it, it was a large, um, one of the large banking groups in the city. Um, then last Friday, it was Friday afternoon then, I was invited to the Gresham Hotel uh, to sit in front of a judging panel. Um, the, the company, Secret Street Tours, was at the being nominated and shortlisted for a business award. So that went really great, you know. And, um, so we know the results on the 4th of March as to whether we win the, the award. But I suppose whether we do or not, is, you know, I, I feel like a winner uh, myself as it is. And, um, and tonight... I'm here with you guys, um, you know, just confronting another couple of fears and uh, growing in confidence a little bit more. Um, so, spare a bit of change for the harmless, please. That was Derek Maguire there from Secret Street Tours. And if you haven't heard of the, the project, it's a fantastic new initiative from a guy called Tom Austin. And Tom basically had been in Vienna and he'd gone on a street tour uh, of the city, um, but it was hosted by a person who had experienced homelessness themselves. And so he just basically brought that same idea back to Dublin because at the moment there is a huge emergency situation, a crisis for people who have nowhere left to call home. 
And I wanted to catch up with Tom just to find out a little bit more. Derek mentioned there was an award during the story and I wanted to find out did they actually win or not. Uh, But also just what is it about Secret Street Tours um, that kind of makes it so special. Okay, so here's Tom uh, explaining what happened uh, with the business uh, competition that Secret Street Tours had been nominated for. Yeah, we got to the final, um, so we got to the last three nationally, and unfortunately we didn't get it this year, so um, we'll be entering a few more, so fingers crossed, but uh, it's just been an incredible journey and really inspirational watching Derek come from someone who was quite shy, quite timid, and would find it hard to look you in the eye, to someone who is really confident in sharing their story, someone who's a real advocate for their community. Um, I think it's just a really inspirational story that that journey that he's been on and and that he's still on really because you know he's striving hard to to exit homelessness and and live independently tell me uh, some of the kind of stories that people can expect to hear uh, if they go on a secret street tour i mean we start the tour in dublin gardens and you know derek immediately kicks off by saying why this area is so uh, important to him and how he connects to this area you know, he talks as it as a place. It's a beautiful place, and it's just a place where he could escape and, and blend in and not get sucked into the identity of being homeless. But um, the tour isn't all about Derek either. So it's a really interesting tour about Dublin and about the Liberties, one of the oldest areas of Dublin that Derek has a real connection to. So he'll take you on a journey. You know, he'll take you on a journey through time, through history of the Liberties, the community, how it's developed over time whilst also weaving in his own personal story and personal experiences of being homeless. So I think it's a really fascinating mix of a tour and I think it's relevant for both locals looking to learn more about their city and the neighbourhood and also for visitors to Ireland to really get an incredible insight from a local, from someone who's had this really unique experience of being, of being homeless uh, and really seeing that different perspective uh, of the streets of Dublin. That was Tom Austin from SecretStreetTours.org. As I said, Derek Maguire. He is the man who will be bringing you around the city. Find him over at SecretStreetTours.org. Okay, on to our final story of the evening. And it comes from Catalina Vieru, who, uh, as you can tell, is not from around these parts originally. She is from Italy, and hopefully I have not done uh, her surname a disservice. But she tells this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant story um, that is delivered with lots of theatricality and drama that you would associate with this beautiful, wonderful accent that just had the audience totally charmed from the very beginning. This is Catalina Vieru with her own personal story of turnaround. There's a lot of people today. So I think this month um, theme is very fit for my story because it's about the most terrifying thing I've ever done, coming out of my family. I know, <laughs> way to hear it. <laughs> so, first a bit of a context. Um, I, up to until four years ago, I've only been in long-term relationships with men. So despite my 10 years of queer activism and my big rainbow tattoo on my back, My family never really thought about me being not straight. So the whole world knew just not them. My family is uh, quite traditional, not like a fearless religious traditional, but very old-fashioned and not cuddly emotional people. We don't really have heart-to-heart conversations, and my dad never told me or my sister that he loves us. 
he's um, a loud homophobe. He's not the kind of, uh, it's okay as long as they do it in their bedroom type, but the, let's take all the queers on a deserted island and leave them there. <laughs> so you can understand why I wasn't very keen on coming out to them, but I always told myself that if I ever fall in love with a woman, I'll tell them. So, four years ago, I started dating this woman, and uh, right about the time I was falling in love with her, she tells me that she's moving in a, to another country for seven months. So I was devastated. And nothing really screams great decisions like love and pain, right? So I told my mom, over lunch, in a public place, so... <laughs> so she can cry a bit about it, but not too much, because there were people staring and the food was getting cold. <laughs> These were her reactions. Oh no, how did this happen? Well, mom, when a woman and a woman love each other, <laughs> I did not expect this. Like, really, with all the signs? Uh, maybe you're just close friends. Well, that's some good quality friendly sex. <laughs> but the best one was, you must never tell anybody else. Not your dad, not your sister, not your friends, no one. Uh, sure. So the next day, I took my sister out for lunch. <laughs> Yeah, you notice how um, big news are given uh, over food in my family, so people can't really comment while they're eating. So we go to this uh, pizza place, and she starts chatting and chatting and chatting, and we order the food, and the food gets there, and she was talking and talking, and then I take a deep breath, and I'm like, I started dating this woman, and I fell in love with her, and now we're in a relationship, and it's not the first woman in my life, but it's the first time I feel like this, but I'm so happy, and now I'm so sad because she's living for seven months in Portugal, and I don't know how to handle this. And she was like, so, you're bi? <laughs> Two down, one to go, the big boss. <laughs> so I skillfully managed to avoid telling my dad for further two years after that, every time I went home. And uh, then I moved to Ireland, and my partner moved in with me, and he had no idea. So I was planning on going home for Christmas one year, and it really bothered me. I was like, I know he's going to ask me if I'm seeing a guy. I really hate lying. So I was thinking about how can I tell him? Should I be like super direct or should I just go with like the history of gay rights and just throw it in there? <laughs> I decided to write him a letter. So I wrote him a letter from Ireland and in that letter I told him that I'm in a relationship with a woman, that I'm happy, and then I kind of guilt him into it, and I was like, you raised me to be self-aware, you raised me to be independent, to do whatever I want and not what the society wants, you raised me to know what's good for me and do, what, do that, and this is good for me. I understand where you're coming from, I was telling him, and I don't, I don't expect you to be super acceptant you know, overnight, but I just want me not to lie when I go home for Christmas. I want to be able to talk about my female partner like I did about my male partner in the previous relationship. And then I sent it. And then like five days pass, a week passes, two weeks, and I was like, Jesus, Romania is not that far away. <laughs> and no answer. So I just kind of made my peace with the fact that he disowned me, he hates me, he never wants to talk to me again. But I figured I should tell my mom. So one day, I text her on WhatsApp. Hey, mom. Hey, honey, how are you? So listen, I wrote this coming out letter to dad uh, two weeks ago and I sent it and he didn't say anything so he probably gonna say something to you so you did what? 
You ruined everything. Why couldn't you just keep it a secret forever? Uh, forever? I don't know, Mom. That sounds like a lot of time. And then silence. Uh, Mom, nothing. Mom, nothing. I'm like, oh my God, she went there and she told my dad and my dad killed her or something happened. <laughs> so the next day I see her online. <clears throat> and I'm like, hi, Mom, so what happened? I couldn't handle the pressure, so I had to go in and tell him myself. Like, oh, wow, how did that go? I went into the living room. Your father was watching TV. I got in front of the TV and I said, Catalina is in a relationship with a woman, but don't you dare say anything to her because she's my daughter and I love her. Wow, and how did that go? So then what happened? I threw myself on the floor and started crying. <laughs> wow, dramatic. And then what happened? Then your father came to me and he started petting my head and be like, I don't understand how this happened. I don't understand how this happened. So that was the uh, coming out. And then another 10 days passed. And I'm like, okay, so now it's clear. My dad knows, my mom knows, everybody knows. He didn't write to me anything. He didn't call me. So I just have to get used to the idea that this is done. I don't have a father anymore. But that's okay because we weren't close anyway and he never told me he loved me. So while I was telling myself all this, you know, going to work, I get to the door and I find a letter from my dad, the only letter he ever wrote to me. And it was like a proper, proper letter, I have it here. So I got it tonight and I'm just gonna, I hope this is not considered notes, but I want to translate a bit out of the letter for you tonight. <clears throat> Catalina, you're my kid and I love you unconditionally. Beyond my opinion about gay people. If you say you're happy and you're accomplished, it's okay. You're a responsible adult. You're educated and smart and you know how to give yourself what you want and what is good for you. Yeah, I know. I'm happy you had the courage to tell me, even though later in life, because I trust you and I trust your decisions even though I don't approve all of them. The important thing for me is that I know you're happy and safe and accomplished and the rest of the things will just manage them. I love you even though I never say it. Thank you. was Catalina Vieru, originally from Italy but living here in Dublin and proudly telling a story of coming out to her family at the Dublin Story Slam. As this is the two-year anniversary uh, of starting off, just a huge thank you to uh, our wonderful host, Mr. Colin Morrigan, who has been part of this journey from start to finish. And of course, the guys uh, in the Sugar Club and most importantly to you, the listeners, for giving us your time. Uh, we really, 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 really treasure um, these, these monthly podcasts that we get to, to make for you. Uh, so we hope to enjoy them for many, many more years to come. Okay, thanks a million for listening to the podcast. I'm off to have some cake or sneak in a slice. We'll talk to you next month. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 